0: The message this morning, spring cleaning, all right, and uh, it has nothing to do with the text whatsoever. But uh, the reason I titled it that was because uh, what Peter's talking about here is uh, stuff that we've got to get rid of. And, you know, in in this time of year is when, right, we've been in our cubby holes and and igloos and have been in there all winter. We joke in our neighborhood, hey, we'll finally start seeing each other again and start talking again because we're all coming out of our caves from hibernation. And, uh, and so a lot of things happen in spring. Um, this is traditionally the time of year where we sweep out or clean out our air out our homes, right? You kind of go through and get it all set for that kind of stuff. And the idea there is to kind of just get rid of the mustiness and the clutter and the dust and, and do a thorough cleaning. And, and when we do that, the houses not only look better, they feel better, right? You just go, yeah, this. you open the windows right That first like yesterday, wasn't that awesome? 65, like open the window, I didn't even need a hat. It was fabulous. And, uh, you know, the same is true in the Christian life. Often things can pile up and a lot of old habits and thoughts can return and begin to really block our ability to enjoy the real life that's in Jesus. And so, uh, like our house, we need to do some spring cleaning and get rid of all the things that should not be in our minds or in our hearts. And in the spirit of that illustration, Peter reminds his readers that there's some things that they should be on the lookout for because they have a major negative effect on holiness, on a pure heart, and on brotherly love. Now, what kind of things do we need to be alert to that really mess up and kill the sanctification process that we talked about in chapter 1? Well, it all comes down in one sentence, one verse. Here's what it says. It says, So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The psalmist says, Come and taste the Lord and see if He's good. Right? See how He relates to you. See if He's patient with you. See if you like how He's been with you. And uh, come and test the Lord because He is good. So the th- part of this deal was I got stuck here because... I wanted to roll on to the next verse, kind of just blow by this verse and go on to the next because that's that whole chunk about, you know, living temple and living stones and that, that's just loaded with all kinds of cool stuff. And I couldn't get past this verse. And so since I got stuck on it, you get stuck on it as well. All right. Notice in here when it starts, it says put away. Now, uh, I looked up a couple different translations. NIV says get rid of. King James says laying aside. But the idea is that stuff's got to go bye bye right? Spin cleaning, it's got to go out. Got to get rid of it. And notice what it says there. There's one little word. It says all. Not some, not part, not half, but all. This is where I got stuck. Because I've gotten rid of a lot of it. I've not gotten rid of all of it. All right? And, and so as I was looking at that, I thought, well, if I'm under conviction, so should the rest of the church. <laughs> so, join me in that, all right? What it's saying is if you have any semblance of these things in your heart or in your spirit, you are to get rid of all of it. Okay? Now, what things are we to get rid of? Let's look at the list and actually go through and define the words that Peter's using. So here's the stuff that has to go. The first word he uses is malice. And you're going to notice a relationship to all these words. Malice is the assuming of evil and the worst possible motives of other people, right? It's impinging them with the worst possible motive that they could have. It's viewing all things through the perception filter of evil, Malice is the fine art of attributing either, evil to the motives of others. You ever done that? Somebody's doing some good. Oh, yeah, well, you know, whatever. That's because, and, and you kind of have to disenchop them. That's what malice is. It's, it's speaking that way. Uh, we call it shredding, right? We shred them. We shred them and their reputations in an effort to disqualify uh, their viewpoint or cause. It's not just, uh, just watch the elections, by the way, right? That's, that's a living illustration right now. It's not just finding fault. It does, it does include that. But it's interpreting through the lens of criticism and attributing base motives to what others are doing. All right? In other words, it's looking at that and attributing, they may be doing it for this, but you attribute these motives to them. And, and usually it's a negative context. Uh, here's some examples. Uh, you know, why go to church? All they want is your money. You ever heard that one before? Right? Now, does the church want your money? Sure we do. So does everybody else in the world. Everybody's trying to dip in your pocket. What kind of shock is that? Now, does the church just want your money? Well, no. There's all kinds of things we do. There's all kinds of stuff we're helping with. There's all kinds of stuff we're reaching out with. And it takes, right, fuel to do that. And so we've gathered together to say those things are important enough and we'll contribute to that stuff because we believe it's kingdom stuff and it's really going to make a difference, right? Is that all the church is interested in? No, the church is interested in your life. The church is interested in your eternal life. The church is interested in your family. The church is interested in your marriage. Hi, Perry Travis. How are you? And the church is interested in uh, all kinds of things like that, right? And so it's not just interested in your money. How about this one? Oh, sure, she leads worship, but it's only to hear her voice. She just thinks she's hot stuff. Right? Kinsu, right? Wow. wow, right? And, and we just chop and, right, we just want to knock them down a peg or two so that we'd say they're put in the right place or we'd say we get them off their high horse. Here's another one. Sure, he helps in the community, but that's what all politicians do. They all feather their nests that way. They don't really care about the children. They just act like they care about the children. Right? And so we become very cynical, very skeptical. And even when people have good hearts, have good motives, are doing right things, we chop them. Right? We, we cut them um, with our mouth. The point being uh, is that you don't have to go too far to find this at work in our culture. Like I said, the, the campaigns kind of highlight that pretty well. But the truth is you don't have to go very far in the church either. There's the unfortunate thing. You don't have to go very far in the church or in our families or in our marriage to find this principle at work. We can be malicious towards each other and ascribe the worst possible motives to each other, having never asked the other person what their actual motive is for why they're doing it. And we can come to some really wrong Um, ideas about the other person simply because of the construct we put in our mind. Um, We have a tendency to shred each other pretty well and rip each other apart with our mouths. Uh, One of the things, there's a group of us uh, pastors in the Mill Creek area, we call it the Mill Creek Network, and it's just a bunch of the pastors in the area and we get together. It's a great group of guys. And one of the things we've covenanted together is to talk well about each other. Right? So if it's Chris Mangianelli up at uh, Mill Creek Foursquare, or if it's Brandon Beals at Canyon Creek, or uh, David Kaysen over at North Creek Presbyterian, or, and there's a whole bunch. We just, if someone comes up, oh yeah, that's a great group of people. I know that guy, he's my friend. And uh, you know we, we've covenanted to not talk maliciously because uh, head pastors can be the most competitive and chopping people in the world. And we've just said, boy, we don't want to do that second one that Peter talks about is deceit. Deceit is the habit of fooling or misleading others by the twisting of the truth or the facts. It's also giving the wrong idea or impression of things. Um, What I've found is that most deceit is based upon the idea that I give you 95% of the information but I leave out that 5% that really sets the context and gives me the whole picture. Right? Do you remember when you were a kid, you did you ever leave that 5% out? Right? That, that is what the Bible calls deceit. This is also known, deceit is also in another way, a, a different context. It's known as the fine art of backstabbing. Right? I smile to you, I hug you, and I'm your friend, and then behind your back, I, I chop your reputation apart. I look like I'm your friend, but the truth is I'm acting very treacherously right acting very deceitfully uh towards you um, do couples ever wrestle with deceit towards each other right isn't that one of the major battles, one of the major head games that we have to work with and allow the Holy Spirit to get a handle on and so that we are true with each other right so Peter says you've got to get rid of deceit the next one he Illustrates is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is being a double person, pretending to be one thing while really being another. Carries the idea of dealing craftily with others so we don't see the real person. Now, here's the interesting thing about hypocrisy it looks awful in somebody else, but looks pretty okay in me. It's amazing how I can jump down the throat of other people's double standards. But with mine, it's, well, you have to understand the context. You don't realize the situation. This is why I do that, right? And so it looks pretty good in me. And so we are blindest to our own blind spots. Hypocrisy is um, coming to church and then never giving Jesus another thought for the rest of the week. right? I act like I'm totally in, I'm tuned, I got it going, and the rest of the week I never give God a thought, I never get in the word, I never pray, it never comes across my radar screen. Uh, there's all kinds of hypocrisy that we can talk about. But here's the real point, I think, about hypocrisy. This is where we lose our children. All right? To the faith. Because what's said and done at home is far more powerful than what is said and done at church. And there's that old act, do what I say and not what I do, Right? Why? Because I told you so? By the way, how the well did that work with us? Why would we think it works with our kids? Right? It doesn't. But there's another twist on that. Um, Do what I say, not what I do. comes alive in an odd way. They do what we say. right? But they do what we say at home, not at church. That's what tips the balance. Because what's done and said at home is far more powerful than what's done or said at church. Unless you have a champion, somebody who speaks into your life and, and, and becomes a role model for you and champions your cause and directs you in a different route, you will follow the pattern that's really set at home. So if mom and dad bicker and argue and fight and storm and throw temper tensions at home, then come to church smiling, which pattern do you think the child is going to pick up on? And so when Peter's talking about getting rid of hypocrisy, it's not just an idle thing that he's talking about throwing out. He's talking about this is a critical thing for the life of a church, the life of a marriage, and the life of a family. How well does it work? How does it sell? Right, We're a marketing culture. How does it sell when um, you paint a different picture to your spouse than what you're really doing? And then they find out. How well does that go over? Right? How long does it take to re-earn trust? Right? One of the things we get mad, do you don't trust me anymore? Well, if you did some things that were trustworthy, that would really be helpful. right? Because we, we have this thing, well, I repented, therefore you should trust me. No, that's forgiveness. I have forgiven you. Okay. It takes a while to re-earn trust. And we want instant trust back. When we, when we throw that out the window, it doesn't work that way. It takes a while to re-earn trust. And so hypocrisy has a huge price tag with it. The next one that uh, Peter goes after is envy. Okay, Envy is desiring what others have. And it's also the dislike of another person because of what they have. Discontent and ill will at another's good fortune because one wishes it had been theirs. I mean, we have envy over everything, right? We have hair envy. We have nose envy. We have boob envy. We have butt envy. We have house envy. We have car envy. We have teeth envy. We have uh, lawn envy. We have salary envy. We, I mean, it, name it, right? We envy everything. Everybody's got it better than me. If I just had what they had, then I would be good. And what that steals and robs is contentment. It, it absolutely, you cannot, no. even if you try to grab that stuff and fill it in the hole, it doesn't fill the hole, you starve to death. And so we run around thinking about, and, and of course commercialization of, of television, internet stuff, that's all based on what you don't have. Oh, and by the way, what you deserve. I.e., if God was a good God, he would have given that to you a long time ago get a clue you're not happy and your God hasn't come through for you. That's really what that's saying. And so we lose contentment. We lose peace. We lose patience. And it's all about if I just had that thing, then I'd be happy. You ever gotten that thing and then you weren't happy? Right? And so envy is one that's really, I call it corrosive. Um, And we can be envious, um, dislike another person because they have what we supposedly want. Well, if I had a voice like that I could sing too. You know? I know, I sound like a gravel truck. Well, it's not my fault. God made me sound like a gravel truck. See, it's his fault. Right? It's a casting blame thing that we get into. And we get mad. Well, God's got favorites. How come he gave that to them? He didn't give me that granite countertop. Right? They didn't give me that four-wheel drive truck. They have a boat. And they call themselves Christians. <laughs> right? I mean, we get that way, right? Now, most of the time we're smart enough we never verbalize it because we know they act like idiots when we verbalize it. But we think that stuff all the time. And so Peter's saying that that's really destructive within the body because God's got a journey with everybody and you just got to be on your journey. And it's his journey with you. Remember what he said to Peter. He said, hey, follow me. And Peter said, what about John? Just, it's none of your business. I'll take care of John. I'll also take care of you. You follow me, right? And has he ever said that to you? Hey, forget about that. That's their stuff. You follow me, right? And you got to be content with the journey. So envy is a big one that Peter's uh, talking about. By the way, Peter would know a little bit about that, wouldn't he? All right? And then the last one that he lists is slander. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, going back to envy, uh, the Disney stories have this captured. Think through all the Disney stories you know, all the princess movies, all the stuff. Almost There's always a core theme of envy in there. For example, take Cinderella and the two ugly sad blisters, okay? In there. I'm just seeing if you're listening. And <laughs> you didn't get that yet, did you? You're not as awake as you think you are, right? But what's the whole theme there? They are envious of Cinderella. Even though they have the position and power, it's her that they're afraid of and it's her that they are envious of, right? And and the whole story is about their envy of what she is supposed to rightfully have and they try to take it from her. And if you think through the Disney flicks, that's in almost every single one of them. Envy is a powerful, powerful motivating tool for a lot of people in the wrong way. Uh, let's go to slander. Slander is the defaming of another person's character or integrity. Uh, it's also talking falsely about another person. It, what we call it is it, it's dragging the person's reputation through the mud. You're talking to somebody, oh, I love that person. Oh, well, yeah, you love them, but you don't really know them. If you knew them, I mean, they're really not nice and and they do all this stuff and it, they're really gunkies, Right? Really, they're gunkies? Yeah, they're not. They're awful. You wouldn't like them at all. Just go to their home once, hang with them. Ugh, terrible, right? Oh, I thought they were. No, they're not nice. They're despicable, right? And and you, you and we we just kind of torch them that way. Uh, there was a story. I remember when I first uh, got into ministry. I was the youth uh, guy at North Shore, over in uh, Bothell, and. Um, I read this story about this woman who got her nose bent with the pastor and got upset. So behind the scenes, she started slandering him. She started slandering his character and started slandering um, you know, his actions and, and messages in the pulpit and stuff. And uh, it got really bad. And then there was this big brouhaha and confrontation with the pastor. And in the midst of that, the woman came to the pastor and just admitted what she had done. I have sinned against you. Could you find it in your heart to forgive me? And the pastor said, yes, absolutely, I, I can forgive you. And he said, would you do something with me? She said, sure. So behind the church that in this story, behind the church was a hill, and so he went on the top of the hill, was this lady, and he had a pillow. It was a feather pillow, right, down pillow. And so on top of the hill was a blustery, windy day like today, and on top of the hill he took a knife, cut the pillow open, then he shook the pillow up, right? And the feathers and down just flew everywhere. I mean, all over the place, all through the churchyard, into the neighborhoods, and went all through the community. And they watched it for about 10 minutes. And when they got done, because she was going, wow, what's this all about? When he got done, he handed her the pillowcase and said, would you go please collect all those feathers? She said, that's impossible. He said, I know. That's the fallout of what you did to me. It's impossible to get it all back. Right? We don't realize what we're doing when we have to step on others and cut them down so that we can feel better about ourselves. And what is behind slander? Insecurity. Right? We're going to use our insecurity to step on somebody else, make them look bad so we can look better. Do we ever feel better when we do that? Oh, peter 's looking at this, so he's he 's talking about this um, now as i 'm talking about this, this is not new stuff to us we 've uh, actually seen this pattern before in other series that we 've gone through, and it 's like okay pastor steve couldn 't you do something else or get on something different you know you 're kind of like repetitive and we 're kind of sick of it and and I tell people, well, when we start doing it right i 'll quit talking about it right that 's a good thing and um but here's the important point. When, when God repeats something, by the way, if you have a problem with that, just look in the Bible how many times God repeats things. Okay? Why does he repeat it? Because we haven't got it yet. Okay? When God repeats something, it's not because he's bored or he's run out of ideas or material. Okay? It's not that he's at lack for something. When he is repeating something, he's trying to emphasize something to underline it to emphasize it in a certain way so that it will catch our attention. Well, let me just give you a few examples. For example, one, one of the patterns that um, you'll see repeated all over is the issue of grace versus the law, trying to earn our salvation versus operating in grace. In Galatians, here it says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That's that whole passion about the Spirit wars against the flesh, flesh wars against the Spirit so that you cannot do what you want. And then if you look a little later in Galatians, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. God is trying to point out that this rule-keeping thing in us by where we earn brownie points, and therefore I get into heaven regardless of what you say, doesn't work. That law squeezes out love. And that he's after love more than law. Uh, Another one that would be common that he repeats. You'll find all over the place. In James it says, He gives us more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We have mentioned this before and I've actually said this is a universal principle found in scripture. God is opposed to the proud person but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. If you go right over just a a book past in the Oops, into uh, 1 Peter. It says, and we'll see this as we're coming through the book, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Was Peter just dumb and he didn't have any good ideas, so he just stole from James? No, that is not what's going on here. And if, if we think that way, we really miss it. All these ideas are repeated by the Holy Spirit as God was trying to establish the church to give it a solid foundation so that the sanctification process could grip people and actually change them. So the emphasis was here on some things that you need to get rid of, right? These things have to go off, have to be put aside or laid aside out of your behavior, out of your language and thoughts. And then here are some things that you need to add, right? And it's always in the context of our actions, our thoughts, and our language. Those three canisters. Peter's following the exact same pattern. In chapter 1, he looks at the things we should add to our character. He talked about sanctification, talked about holiness, he talked about purity, and he talked about love. If you're new or visiting, you can go back on the website, download those, you can listen to those. And now he's focusing on some things that got to go because they wreck the process. This pattern is found all over and throughout the New Testament. Look at Ephesians, chapter 4. Says this is not the way you learn Christ. They talked about this pattern with the Gentiles of the way they think without God. He says this is not how you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off. Here's that phrase again. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness in holiness. Know how notice how the putting off has to do with that list that Peter, Paul, John, all of them list. Those all have to go off. These all have to go on. So if you're wondering what stuff can I do in the Christian life? Just look at the list. You shouldn't talk this way. You can talk this way. And when the Holy Spirit bumps you and says, "I ah, 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 don't. We shouldn't." What we often do, <clears throat> right? Once you get it out of your mouth, can you get it back in? Isn't that a booger? Right? I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that that way? Ah. Right? Look at Colossians. It says, But now you must follow them. Now you must put them all away. Here's a list again. Look at this list anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk for your mouth. Do not lie to one another. That's that deception thing. Seeing that you have put off the. Old self with its practices and it put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. In other words, it's what Paul Paul's going after, what Peter's going after, it's the signature imprint of God and the type of person and character he is. We are to mirror that. And we mirror that with our language. We mirror that with our character, we mirror that with our with our actions. And so Peter's talking to the church saying if you want to get involved in the sanctification process, some of these things got to go. And so there's this pattern of taking off or getting rid of and then putting on or being renewed in the spirit of our minds. In, In other words, here's what Peter and Paul are trying to say. We have to allow God to help us think differently. And I might add positively. Isn't it easy to be a curmudgeon? Isn't it easy to just be full of fear? Isn't it easy to be a grump? Right? Isn't it easy to be negative Nelly? Right? Everything's wrong. Nothing works. ah, We're all going to die. Right? The kind of chicken little sort of mentality. And we just gripe our way through life. And what they're saying is get rid of that stuff and start thinking the way God thinks. Start thinking positively about ourselves and others. Notice all these things we talked about. Putting off, in effect, why should we put them off? Because they poison us. They poison our minds and they poison our spirits, especially when it comes to others. Have you ever gone sour on someone? Right now, as you're saying, is there, is ever a person who was your friend that you went sour on and now you can't stand him? And you won't ever talk to him, you never be next to him again? Right? It, we can get poisoned. Now, in some cases, that's justifiable. They're dangerous. You shouldn't get back with them. But in some of it, we just feel we are unwilling to forgive. We say we forgive, but it's really tough. And that's because you have the whole issue of forgiveness versus trust. Right? We'll talk about that in a second here. Here's why I think that's critical. I think it's critical because I've seen this go so far as the person can not only not think rightly about others, But when we get in that mindset, we can't think right about God either. We chop him. We diss him at every turn. We call him into question about his motives, his actions, his will. We find fault with him to boot. If this is the way you run it, if you think this is a good job, you're an idiot. And I'm not following you. Why don't you get off your dead butt and do something? And we we call God to account. We find fault with Him. And uh, Scripture calls that we get into um, grumbling and murmuring. We don't like God and we don't like anybody else either. We can become pretty poisoned that way. People like that carry with them, as I said, a spirit of grumbling and murmuring. Nothing is ever right or up to their standards. Well, if you were really a church, you'd have done this. right He's the pastor. You, you mean, are you kidding me? We pay him money to actually get up in front and sound like an idiot like he does? Seriously? Lots of families have roast pastor for lunch, after church. okay. Okay, so here's the point. What happens is, by the way, uh, if you wonder how God feels about that, just read the book of Numbers. All right? A lot of you are in Bible reading right now and, and just went through there. We need to be careful lest we ourselves get swallowed up. Okay, So how do we change? How do we change? How do we renew our minds? How do we cooperate with God in the sanctification process? Well, the admonition here from Peter and all over uh, in scripture is to stay in the word. it's what reading and studying the Bible really does is it helps us to see God's perspective, but it not, it doesn't only help us to see God's perspective. It helps us to think the way God thinks. It helps us to look at things the way God looks at him. And have any of you noticed he looks at things differently than the way we'd look at him? Have any of you noticed his timing is usually not our timing? Have you ever been surprised and shocked where you wanted to throw lightning bolts and thunder down on somebody else and then he came to you and wanted you to repent? What? (laughs) This is an outrage to my kingdom. Yes, it is. Because you're in the wrong kingdom. Okay? It helps us to think right. It helps us to see God's perspective. It helps us to think, to act, to speak like God. Um. I've mentioned before that I battled with kidney stones, and many of you know that story. <laughs> many of you watch me. And uh, I went to a doctor about four years ago, and it was a new kidney doctor. And he says, oh, Steve, this is we can fix this. And I've been through surgeries. I've been, you know, you name it. I said, you wouldn't wish that pain on your worst enemy. I, I look at him, you can fix this? Yeah. Wow, I'm thinking some miracle drug they've just come up with. Thank heavens. You know, they'll pop out my kidneys, put new ones in. I don't know, something. <laughs> And he says baking soda. Baking soda, yeah, baking soda. You're kidding me, right? Baking soda. No, I'm serious. Baking soda. You mean like I dump it in the glass? Well, he says you can do that, but you can take little pills. He says they compress them to take pills. It's a lot easier. I said, what, 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 wouldn't, what in the world would that do? He says, oh, it alkalines your system. He said, human pH five seven. You, you sit, rumble fiber under, and so you produce stones. And he says, all we have to do is get you to take baking soda, and your system will alkaline, you won't produce stones anymore. And so, as a result, I take baking soda, and for the last four years, I haven't had a kidney stone. right? Just the same way that baking soda works with my acidic system, the Word of God works with our acidic souls. It cleanses, it alkalines it, it takes the bite out of it. It turns us in people who are curmudgeons into people who can love. It turns us in people who are sour into people who are sweet with our words. It turns us into people who have really bad, stinky attitudes into people who have really good attitudes. The word washes and cleanses and does all the things for our spiritual heart just like baking soda does for my system. It alkalines it. And therefore, Peter says this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Uh, as they get ready, and we're going to head towards communion here. It says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So what Peter's saying is, hey, have you tasted the Lord? Has he been good to you? Anybody in here the Lord's been good to? Yep, me, hello. I'm with you. All right? It says, then stay in the word. Let it change you. Let it nourish you. Let it make you healthy. Let it alkaline you. Let it take the sourness out of your soul. Right? And you'll find out why next week as we head towards the other, the other chapter. But before we head to communion, I, I, I want to do this for us because I, I would suspect that this message, if it tagged me, it's probably tagging at least one person out there somewhere. Some woeful, wretched sinner who's sitting by you. I don't know who that'd be. Alright? But they're out there. Here's my thought this morning. God seldom times messages by accident. Have you noticed that? I mean, He's pinpoint laser sometimes. You walk into church and it's like you're the only person in the room. And how in the world did the pastor know? Well, the pastor didn't know. But the Holy Spirit knew. Right? And it's entirely possible that Some of us have really struggled this past week or we're even in a season. It's just a season of life where it's been really tough to talk well about others. We just find ourselves biting and barking and chopping and we know we shouldn't, but we can't. And then God has just shined a light on it this morning and said, hey, that's got to go. That is not of my kingdom. It's not of my spirit. If you're wondering why you don't experience presence of my spirit you got the wrong acid in your system you got to flush that out and the last thing i would want to do as your pastor even more so as your friend is rush towards communion just pretend you heard it all and say okay good let's take communion and we're out of here now corinthians 11 says what we're supposed to examine ourselves the idea there is: look over, listen to what you just heard, and then if there's something stuck in our craw, we got to get that out before we do communion. And so, it's because we just keep going through communion and don't get it right, we many people get sick or they die. Right? And and so one of the things is if this kind of acid is in our system, if those words that we went through this morning have been part of our repertoire, that we should stop. We should focus and. Ask the Lord to forgive us and ask the Lord to cleanse us this morning. All right? And so I want to do that. Uh, just while there's some softness in my would you close your eyes this morning if the Lord has spoken to you and you know He's talked to you, not talked to somebody else, He's talked to you and said, hey, we really got to rein this in. This is not helping you and it's not helping other people. Your tongue, your heart's out of control and it's it's poisoning Your spirit. It's also poisoning the people around you. Would you repent of that before you come to communion? Would you get right with me? Would you let me coach you on that? He says in his spirit. I can teach you how to do that. Says the living God. Let's do this. Communion servers, would you begin to serve communion? Would the rest of us stand? What's the opposite? The opposite is gratefulness. The opposite of is thankfulness. Sign of a healthy church is a grateful people. Let's sing a hymn of gratefulness before we do communion together.